This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Taylor Swift has had a very big year. Her career-spanning Eras Tour is on pace to become the biggest and most lucrative concert tour in history, and the subsequent concert film set box office records. She re-released two of her most beloved albums, she's been streamed on Spotify globally more than any other artist this year, was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, and she hard-launched her relationship with football player Travis Kelsey. Needless to say, she was very present in our pop culture lives in 2023. Today, in honor in honor of her birthday, Taylor Swift is releasing the Eras Tour concert film digitally to watch at home. So we thought it was the perfect time to revisit our conversation about what made the tour such a juggernaut. I'm Stephen Thompson, and today, in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we are talking about the Eras Tour. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk Concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Joining me today is NPR senior editor Bilal Qureshi. Hey, Bilal. Hey, Stephen. Also with us, Margaret H. Willison, communications manager of Not Sorry Productions. Hey, Margaret. Hi, Stephen. And rounding out our panel, Jordan Cruciola. She's a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum <laughs> Fun. Hey, Jordan. And Swifty. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, your credentials also include 
Swifty. <laughs> so there are lots of different metrics I could use to make a simple point. The Eras Tour is very big, and it has already been very lucrative. Taylor Swift toured the U.S. and Latin America, and she's got nearly 100 more shows planned for all over the world, running well into next year. By the time it wraps up, it'll almost certainly be the biggest moneymaker in history as far as tours are concerned, which is saying nothing of the economic impact on each city where it's stopped. It's been five years since the last Taylor Swift tour, her last scheduled tour to promote her album Lover had to be scrapped due to the COVID pandemic, and in that time she's released eight albums, including four older albums she re-recorded. Basically, if you are a Taylor Swift fan, you are being super served. To talk Taylor Swift and the Eras Tour, we have assembled a crack assortment of Swifties, as well as the Swift Curious, and a note, we recorded this episode before the Eras Tour concert film was released. Jordan Cruciola, I so often come to you for enthusiasm. Where do you stand on Taylor Swift? And on a scale of one to 100 million, how excited were you to see her on the Eras Tour in person? My level of Swiftiness is that I have a commissioned 24 by 36 painting of Taylor Swift that hangs above my bed. <laughs> Whoa. So 100 million is the answer to that question? I'm going to need you to text me a picture of that as soon as we're off air. Uh, I love it very much. Love it. And I had tickets to Loverfest, mm -hmm. but that friend and I maintained our plan to see Taylor. So once Eras was announced, me and Angie were on, on the chat being like, we're doing this, right? And then I proceeded to not look up a single thing for the entire duration of the tour <laughs> to its final stops in L.A. So everything was a complete surprise to me, including that it was three hours long. <laughs> wow. Best surprise ever. So, like, obviously I knew, like, Haim popped up. It's like, oh, okay, they're there with her. And, like, they're playing No Body, No Crime. But when we were on hour two, and I was like, we have so... So many eras left to discuss. I was like, how are we? Is she just going to stop at a certain point? No, it was three hours. And I went back to back nights. So I had two days of six hours of Taylor Swift. Wow. That's like seeing Oppenheimer on back to back nights. Uh, yeah, I Barbenheimered the Taylor tour. <laughs> All right, Margaret, same question for you. How excited were you to see her on this tour? Okay. I think to like your average passerby on the street, I would be considered a Swifty. Like, I taught a class about Taylor Swift this summer in confessional <laughs> writing. You know, I've written about her in a bunch of different places. I listen to her music a lot, and I really, really love a bunch of the albums, and I think that she's just, like, an incredibly fascinating figure. But as Jordan just so handily demonstrated, like, that does not make me a Swifty. <laughs> Yeah, she, you didn't even have her face tattooed onto your face. And I'm happy with that. I am happy to like stand on the sidelines and like let the Swifties explain to me wild fan theories. And I was very excited to go and see the show. <laughs> My experience of being at the show was even better than I could have anticipated. Mm. There's a lot of music uh, from her large career that like I did not understand until I heard it played live in a stadium. Chiefly the Reputation Era stuff. That was stuff that had kind of passed me by because I didn't really mm. like any of the lead singles from that album. And yeah. you hear those things in a stadium and you're like, I get it now. This slaps. Oh, interesting. As any Swifty will tell you, the lead singles are never the albums. No, I know. I've learned this now. Just 2017 me wasn't informed. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. I have not seen the Eras tour, and I did not like the album Reputation. And go. now I feel like I've been robbed of the experience of enjoying it. <laughs> Bilal, you've been you've been quiet. Well, I mean, I, I'm just you know enjoying like hearing from the members of the parish. I mean, I I went as a Swift curious attendee. I have to now confess, and partly because anybody who's interested in culture, she has been obviously a figure in our culture for such a long time, and. 
I'm actually a very um, proud member of the beehive, and I don't want to involve myself in the duel here, but I sure. felt like a stray bee that had like left the beehive to go <laughs> buzz into this sort of stadium because I was very curious what was going on. And I live in L.A. Like when the Eras Tour came for the six-night residency to SoFi Stadium, which is insane, everywhere I went in my neighborhood, I heard somebody mentioning, do you have a ticket? This is happening. The other like hot take confession is that I did not have a ticket for this and was not involved in any Ooh. of the... Um, until an hour before the show, and I... I was like, is there a resale ticket that may have, like, I don't know, dropped in price an hour before? And it's completely impractical to drive to a football stadium um, across L.A. traffic with an hour's notice. But that's what happened. (laughs) So I found, you know, I was alone, adult uh, male alone (laughs) sitting in the crowd, feeling a little bit like out of, you know, I was going to be like spotted and exiled. And then that was not what happened. It was an amazing concert. No, it's a big tent. It was a big tent. And I felt so included and uh, participatory. And I still. Uh, maybe accidentally and maybe not have my LED bracelet that was handed out to all of us um, because I just felt like the inclusiveness of it and the big tent of it was really amazing. And other confession is I I wasn't maybe as excited about the tour when I saw the visuals of it, which seemed, I don't know, Technicolor, like Lisa Frank sort of vibe to me at, at at the beginning, which is fine. But I will say that like as a very big fan of the Folklore Evermore albums, I was very curious how she was going to relay that and like you Stephen, I was at the tiny desk concert at NPR a couple of years ago was very much blown away by what she was doing and then I think she brought that and she brought the Technicolor with it so all of those multitudes in one show that was a lot of show for last minute purchase so I was very impressed and very served what a cool experience for someone who has five moves <laughs> yeah and like four of them are rhythmic walks. Yes, and they're those are my favorite right. ones. The the model walks. I, yeah. I am. I continue to be just bowled over what a captivating presence she is for someone who mm-hmm. doesn't move like Beyonce. For someone who doesn't sing like Beyonce, but is a generational storytelling and songwriting talent who truly manages to make the most intimate experience of a. 50, 60,000 capacity arena. Oh, and I got to push back against the whole notion of stan culture where you have to pick one. You oh. have to be in the beehive or you have to be a Swifty and never the Twix shall meet. Like, we all contain multitudes. You can love multiple artists and you can experience two completely <laughs> different kinds of stage shows, right? I think I bring that up partly because I just think that's been one of the, like, problematic narratives around her and I felt like and I think what's really impressive about her and I love that Miss Americana documentary on Netflix that came out a few years Mm -hmm. ago because I do think and one of the things the tour does so well is addition to all the things that you were saying Jordan about what an amazing compelling presence she is in a 70,000 you know person stadium I also think she's so self-aware of all those narratives around her and I think the way that she was pitted against you know not only Beyonce but other kinds of music other kinds of stands and I had a lot of friends like messaging me like as if I had gone straight they were like you went to a Taylor Swift concert like there is a kind of tribalism around it that I think I myself felt like a desire to overcome because I think it's such a a false choice you know and and yet there has been this narrative around her like oh she's kind of got this I think especially the reputation era was like a big part of that she claims right which is great I mean she comes out with the snake slithering and like the full (laughs) surround sound she marches in with that walk and then you know it's part of her multitudes and I, I think that's what I really like about what she's been doing these last few years. So there's been a lot of news coverage in kind of the last few months about disruptive fans at concerts. I wanted to get a sense of what you felt the vibe was among the fans 
in the crowd. Was the enthusiasm disruptive or was it more kind of communal? What what was the feel? The two LA shows I was at, I did experience multiple people because I didn't have any bracelets the first night. And Swifties took pity on me and a woman just walked up to me while I was waiting in line for my chicken sandwich and she was like, here. And it was a red bracelet because I had my red tour tee on. And I was like, that's my favorite album. She was like, I knew it was for you. You have to explain the friendship bracelets, <laughs> yeah. like the, that whole culture. Yeah, yeah. The friendship bracelets have been a hang around like Taylor Swift sort of unifying fan item. Mm -hmm. since like fearless speak now and taylor used to wear a lot of friendship bracelets when she performed like that was something fans would mirror back and then like the trading of friendships became like a sort of community thing at a swift concert and that came back for the eras tour and it was really beautiful to see people like swapping their stuff around and to see the the costuming at the eras tour was so phenomenal to see like which era did you pick but my favorite costuming choices were either the junior jewels reference to the Taylor Swift You, you Belong With, with me, me video, video because anybody can make that shirt. It's true. And also any Jake Gyllenhaal t-shirts. <laughs> any Jake Gyllenhaal t-shirts were hilarious. The number of like Jake with like a caution X through him and like where's the <laughs> scarf Jake shirts. Like those to me were my favorite fan nods. My experience of the fan response was a lot like Jordan's, where it was exclusively positive. I just had like such a strong emotional experience of being in a stadium with that many people and all of us connecting as deeply to the art as we were. That came up for me like a couple of times. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers was the opener at my show, and she's a very popular artist, but like not on the stadium scale mm -hmm. yet. And getting to see a whole stadium like Everybody came in and people were super engaged in her opening performance. And that was really emotional for me because that's something that I've kind of had beef with Taylor Swift with over the years is when she collaborates prominently, it's often been with male artists. Mm -hmm. And that's really changed in the last couple of albums. And it's so exciting to see. But like the moment above all others where you're like, wow, this is a church is when she starts playing the 10 minute version of All Too Well. <laughs> I mean, the set goes away and it's truly her guitar and sparkly cape, period. And the existence of that song in and of itself, right, is evidence of like the Swifty community. There have been rumors of the long version of All Too Well for years. <laughs> like this was fabled. And to be in a stadium of like 55,000 people and just have all of us wrapped singing along to that song and like... We've all had situationships, right? <laughs> like, like you can hear the heartbreak behind it. And I was just like, what a cool space to be in. What a cool way to just see the career this woman has built for herself, right? By, like, just being unabashedly honest about her emotions, even when people keep telling her she should make them smaller. Mm. I mean, I will say that during that All Too Well performance, especially the new verses that were added in the longer we record that are particularly cutting <laughs> and brilliant, you know, the singing along was much louder than I've ever heard at any concert. <laughs> like, people aren't just singing along to this. They are yeah, like, they're like... they're mm -hmm. like howling in pain. <laughs> they're howling in pain to it. And so the everybody around me of the, from the parents to the kids to like you know another guy who was next to me who was also kind of like should I be here um, felt <laughs> like they were, everybody kind of got wrapped up into it
I will say that the thing that was really remarkable was like was that performance where she comes out as you said solo and like beyond the friendship places are these like wearable tech that are handed out at the show that turns the entire audience red in that moment you know mm-hmm. surprise surprise and that happens with just her alone on the stage and i was just really blown away by the stagecraft of like the transitions of these eras because it's not chronological and it's not by album but the way that it happens that she does the like folklore cottage set and and then it disappears and then she comes back to do a couple of like solo things she performed part of evermore you know just on the piano by herself and i think that these kinds of like shifts being done so seamlessly and so compellingly and she's inhabiting all of those eras as per the title and i think that all too well performance i think what i recall came right in the middle as the sort of centerpiece yeah. feeling and it was just really an amazing moment that kind of also grounded you and like you are in the middle of something amazing and then i don't know but snakes or something must have appeared right <laughs> afterward but like but it was it was a pretty like remarkable like whirling around and and so well done in, in like a sequencing way well i think you you hit on an interesting point about the concert experience which is 50,000 people singing in unison is incredibly moving <laughs> and it and sort of inherently mm. uh, on key <laughs> um <laughs> one person <laughs> singing along yeah. is jarring and, <laughs> and potentially ruinous. The way she locks into everyone in that in that stadium is It's her superpower. Yeah. It's incredible. Like I felt like everyone was having a personal experience with her and an audience with her. And that's very different from even I would say the Renaissance tour, which is a bit like having an audience with a with a sort of deity that has landed <laughs> in a spaceship. And then like you may get like, you know, sucked into the spaceship, but like it's a very different feeling than this kind of like extremely personal sense that she creates with everyone it was that's crazy to do in a stadium i don't even know how that's done (laughs) the heiress tour is like seeing your best friend married like you may not get a lot of individual time with her but you're just there to witness something so beautiful in her life and it's incredibly (laughs) moving and you're like oh my god she made it this is great yeah right and it's so fascinating with taylor swift because obviously people have had parasocial relationships with singer-songwriters since before we knew to call them parasocial relationships what i think is shocking or unique about swift is how she can make the size of her audience still feel like it is not a parasocial relationship. No. Like there is a friendship there. It's like we know each other. We care about Mm -hmm. each other. We care about the same things. Your victories are my victories and vice versa. 100%. But it is so... So cool. Just to get to see what that looks like live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one I hoped most for that I was almost certain I would hear and I did was Long Live. Ugh, I'm so <laughs> jealous. <laughs> like Long Live is, it's either one of or her like favorite song of her catalog. And to see her perform it live is really special because it embodies that somehow at the worst of times it was sort of like the biggest sort of thing you could wield against her but in the best of times it's like something Mm -hmm. that endears her to you to her so much as like somehow taylor swift manages to maintain the energy of an underdog even in the middle of the most profitable (laughs) tour perhaps of all time (laughs) and that used to feel like something that could be leveraged for like sympathy but now it feels more, I think, consistently like something where it is a point of connectivity between her and her fans and that sense of what Margaret was saying of like, I don't just know you, you know me. And when you hear her sing Long Live, she puts this special emphasis on the like, all the mountains we moved. I've had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. And when she says you, she's saying it to every single individual in that stadium personally. Such a good line.
And she always ends that song with a little bit of like a moved like gesture to the crowd like wow like we did move mountains and there's just something deeply emotional and it's like to see that and hear the tens of thousands it was like this is the swift experience to me condensed into a single song i do want to say one thing though about the idea of like the you component which is the you as consumer part of this too in terms of like how much all of us have paid to be the you in that room or the efforts that we had to make because i definitely find myself thinking about how expensive both of these stadium tours that we've discussed today or just concerts mm-hmm. in general have just gotten. And like, I think I've actually felt recently in going to certain shows that it's like a lot of things make me feel like they're not worth it and I wasted my money or like, <laughs> was this really worth the effort? And these being some of the most expensive tickets people have paid for, I haven't heard a single person, you know, echo any of that regret. And I think that is what's really remarkable is that the show being as big as it is and covering so much ground and offering something for everyone and there's so many on-ramps to the show, like, it also really feels like you get your money's worth. Uh, But I do think that, you know, the fact of, like, it being more than three hours, like, almost three and a half hours, I think, and, and feeling like it covers so much and you, the you, get everybody has something that they take away from it. So I think that, you know, that felt like wow, how many shows happen where somebody doesn't give you what you paid your <laughs> yeah. ticket for? The fact of it, of of the cost value element is like pretty significant here. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, uh, defend exorbitantly high concert ticket prices, but like nobody really talks about how much like sports fans pay <laughs> to see like big games. If you pay $1,000 to see your team lose, <laughs> it can be a completely miserable experience. And I'm sorry, like, if you're paying $1,000 or however many, <laughs> God knows how many dollars, to see Taylor Swift live, she's at least going to win the game. And what I would also say is just in terms of fan participation, it's like uh, May 19th is when I saw Taylor Swift at Foxborough. And then I followed everything that happened on her tour. So it's like, you know, like I know that in Philadelphia in the middle of bad blood, she like stopped to like chastise a security guard who was like hassling a fan and was like, no, she's fine. And then I know at the next night of the Philadelphia show that people were making little bracelets, initials for what she said in the middle of that break in bad blood. Because there were all these people recording things on TikTok, the algorithm figures out real quick that it can just keep throwing Taylor content at you. And they were all, it was all gold. So even though I didn't get to see all the later concerts, you got to experience so much more of it than I've ever been able to experience of a similarly exclusive live event situation before. I guess what I just feel like listening to all of this makes me think about is like, what happens to concerts next? I mean, is the, if this is sort of the new, like, if that is what, sort of becomes not only the gold standard, but she's like just just changed the game in such a huge way with this tour. And obviously, like it's making records already. Like you know, not everyone can also pull off a, t- a show like this, but I'm sure we're going to have a lot of like attempts to do similarly like way too big, you know, like Mar- Marvel movie style yeah. versions of certain people who shouldn't be doing tours like that. But it's like, are, are we all spoiled now from yeah. the shows? I don't know. Because I, I went to a Sigur Ross concert this week and it was like, I mean, I'm not trying to compare these two at all, but it was, I was definitely ready to go to bed like within the, after the first half of, of that show. And I'm like, am I spoiled now? If I, do I, am I too much in need of like a major rush? Anyway, yeah. not, again, they're not comparable at all, but they were, very different experiences. I'm, I'm imagining a Beyonce versus Taylor Swift like arms race. <laughs> um, 
her live arrangements of her music are actually phenomenal. Uh, and she does mm. such a good job at giving you what you know with just enough of what's different to make it feel like a fresh experience, especially with her back catalog. She does an excellent job of arranging her archive for live stuff. One small thing that was a special moment in the LA first night was that she, I think it's in every show, she gives her hat to somebody in the audience. She yeah. gives her 22 hat away. Thank you for the <laughs> specificity. But in the LA um, first night, she gave that to Kobe Bryant's daughter, who was in the audience and I think that for LA was like this you know one of those like very special oh moments and I, and I think people feel like each show has a special thing that happens and that was one of those special things in LA yeah so we have barely scratched the surface we didn't even get to talk about the surprise songs <laughs> Jordan and I didn't even get to talk about all of the ways the shows are gay it's shocking yeah I, I didn't even say <laughs> Kaler till right I know now. thank god we've got it in now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> follow the breadcrumbs <laughs> All right, well, we want to know what you think about Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Last I checked, people had opinions. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Margaret Willison, Bilal Qureshi, Jordan Cruciola, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really great to be here. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.